As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition. This new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you stressing, but you're going to be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working. Open curtains. Haters swerving because they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never going to give up. Give up. Fall down. I just got to get up. Get up. Listening to the Tom Ficklin Show on WNHHLP. 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. And welcome. Good morning. As uh, Andrew said, we are on the Tom Pickle Morning Show. I've been blessed to uh, guest host for Tom Pickle. I want to thank him for this opportunity as we delve into a uh, discussion on critical care in the in 2023. Um, I have the pleasure of having with me in the space today. Victoria Bryant, LMFT, um, representing Zola, amongst many things in the community. And uh, thank you for joining us. I know you could have been anywhere in the world, literally anywhere in the world, uh, but you're here with us. And so I greatly appreciate your time and your presence um, that you're going to gift us with. So with that being said, uh, Mrs. Bryant, or as I call affectionately, Auntie, if you can share with us uh, a little bit about your journey, how you got to where you are my goodness my goodness so i want to thank you for this opportunity just to spend a little bit of time sharing the work that we are doing globally actually with zola and thank tom ficklin for giving us the platform and thanks harry for being our engineer um a lot of you may have heard or i know a lot of you know who i am uh, on a professional level other than perhaps through Zola. Uh, I've been in the New Haven community for a very, very long time since, basically since graduating from the University of Connecticut. I have a nursing degree. Then I went to Southern for a licensed marriage and family therapy degree. So Connecticut has really been uh, wonderful to me as far as my education. Um, Have worked in the field of recovery and the field of uh, specifically around behavioral health, addiction, and uh, co-occurring disorders with mental health uh, well and wellness, actually, uh, for a very, very long time. The, my background is that I come from a family of healers. So for me to find myself as a nurse, as a family therapist, as someone that has passion for the healing of our community, it really isn't something that is foreign to me. I see the the work that we're doing with Zola, which is specifically to support uh, individuals, families, communities, and ultimately to humanity to uh, reframe loss, to reframe uh, trauma, to reframe how people process grief. So There's nobody in the face of the earth that has not experienced a loss. And I'm going to focus really right now primarily on those individuals who have um, been involved in the the carceral system to say that, to to just kind of put it that way, to just kind of give you a place of focus and a place of reference. Uh, When individuals are incarcerated, they lose everything. And uh, I have not um, personally had that experience, but I have family members that have, friends that have, and it is a significant loss, whether it is uh, probation, parole, or actually entering into a facility, all of it creates a sense of loss. It could be traumatic. Uh, our, Our goal is really to lend voice to that experience. And that is a population that people don't want to talk about. That's a population that is really is invisible. It is one of those. Why do you think that is? Why do I think that is? Um, Because there's a lot of shame and a lot of guilt that is associated with being arrested uh, and being involved in with the police department, being involved with probation, parole, the courts, they are, it's a, it's a punitive system. It is not necessarily a rehabilitative system. And so when individuals are 
families are confronted with this, it is a loss from the very beginning. We know that the bail system in and of itself is not a, uh, a positive experience for many families. It decimates them financially. They they are impacted. So that it's a loss from the very, very beginning. And then when you uh, restrict an individual by taking them outside of a family system so that they can no longer contribute directly to a family system. That's another layer of loss and another layer of trauma. Uh, the society, once again, once someone enters into uh, uh, detention, prison, at any level, the, the, the message that you're given by the general society is that this person it loses its sense of value. They lose their sense of worth, not only physically to the family, but, but to your community. And then it's given this negative connotation. So when they come out, it's like, they uh, up until recently, you walked around with this, um, with this scarlet letter. scarlet letter on your forehead. You couldn't apply for jobs. You can't apply for students. You can't apply for housing. It knock, blocks you out. So we're talking about traumatic loss on top of traumatic loss. But then you get, they say, oh, come home. You get, They're going to release you. Or you're no longer on probation or parole. But you are. You're on, you, you, they ask the question on every application and you're blocked. So how do you manage that? How do you deal with that? How do you lend voice to that experience with people that may have even overcome this situation. We don't bring this, this population together to begin to have those kind of healing circles, those kind of healing dialogues. And so part I know that that what we're doing and what we're offering is one of, hopefully, one of many other things. But I think it's a significant thing in the sense that it, first of all, it reframes loss. People, the minute you say lost, they say funeral, death of a person. But as I have just described to you, we experience a myriad of losses, and this population's losses gets um, uh, gets compounded exactly. And yeah. so we can can begin to have a dialogue of using the seven sessions that we use in Zola. They're, they're simple, but they're very powerful. They start off, the whole purpose of it is to build communities of support. We start off with just educating you and having you to recognize that you've had other losses. We recently did a training with uh, Emerge, which is a reentry program here in New Haven. And the individuals that were male and female, the conversation wasn't about what happened in prison or during that incarceration, or even with parole or probation. It was what has happened to my life that nobody wants to lend voice to. What happens to an individual? What happens to their life? And we offer that in a framework that is supportive, that is safe, that people can begin to talk about what they have lost. And then we be the rest of those sessions uh, from the very beginning is like, well, what has helped you? What has, has been your support network as you have been going through this experience? And let's build upon that. And that's and what somebody may share something within the group that may be helpful to you. Like, I've never tried that. Maybe I will try that. We talk about self-esteem building. We talk about uh, strengthening family systems. We talk about recognizing the losses. So where's you? Exactly, that you have to go through this more than one time. And then we talk about forgiveness, uh, forgiveness of the situation, forgiveness of self, own what's yours, leave the rest. We talk about building, a, what is the legacy that you want from this life experience? And people say, for their first thought is, that life experience, what do you mean? Build a shrine because I went to jail? No, the legacy is what are you going to carry forth from your learning experience? What are you going to carry forth that's going to build and strengthen you, your community, and your family? So some people have done something as simple as I'm going to do some more self-care. I'm going to honor myself. I'm going to go to therapy. 
uh, some folks have said, I'm going to honor this situation by by starting a, a a health or fitness thing, a 5K run, midnight basketball in honor of my, my child that was a, a victim of street violence. So it can be your legacy, but you have to honor what you have learned. You have to honor that. And then the so, thing we do is we celebrate. We celebrate the new you. Is it so? Is it fair to say that uh, uh, um, a good amount of what you're discussing is turning this pain and, and whether it's the pain that they caused by making poor choices or the pain that was inflicted upon them into something positive um, that can generate, you know, I, I don't want to be corny, but generate uh, good karma or energy arrives around themselves, those that are closest to them, as well as the community. Absolutely. That is a wonderful description of the goal and the outcome of what happens when individuals go through the, the seven sessions and they continue to become enlightened. They continue to understand themselves, understand the situation, and, and continue to find their voice so that they talk differently when they're with their family. They find a way to communicate their thoughts, their feelings about what has happened and what their vision is about moving forward. So you're absolutely right. It does change the karma or the energy or the, the, the thing that they will put out there that they want to come back. And we know that there are so many of folks in the black and brown communities that have been incarcerated and part of this system that didn't deserve that. And so now we, there's a place to talk about that and perhaps rechannel that anger, that frustration in a positive way, minimally to reach back to somebody and say, join this conversation with me, join this healing circle with me. And let's 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 form that. That's where that legacy piece comes in, that you can then begin to channel that energy into a positive thing. Okay, so so with the work that you're describing, working with Emerge, and you know, you dealt with these individuals in the reentry community. Um, it would be fair to say, you know, that this work is applicable to the general population as well. So I would just like to understand that that kind of bridge um, between the reentry population um, and uh, the general population, because from what I'm, from what I'm hearing, it sounds as if a key component of this is um, allowing people to craft their own narrative, um, as opposed to having it be set in stone and crafted for them by whether it's the the criminal legal system or be crafted by the pain that they've suffered or inflicted upon others. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. The Zola experience can be integrated into any system. For example, you have someone that, um, like I'll give a personal example. I went to, I had broken my foot <laughs> and it's it, as it was healing, I started to experience swelling. So they sent me to a vascular surgeon. And so I say to the person, they say, oh, you're, it's going to be fine. You just need to give it more time. The circulation is fine. And I say to her, I said, well, what happens when a person comes in here and the outcome isn't such as mine, that they now are facing amputation or they're facing a surgery that's going to, that's going to change how their body is going to look. They now have a change of body image, right? I said, well, how do you support that person to to understand that and to reconcile that. And they, the woman, she was like, the nurse is like, we really could use something like that, but we don't have anything like that. So in those kind of settings, yes, you can begin to, it can be focused specifically on that particular event, whether it is the loss of body image, homelessness, loss of secure food, all of these, anything that, moves the individual and, and impacts the individual in a way that they get stuck, that they can't reconcile, they can't lend voice to it, they don't under quite a, have a, an understanding of what happened and how can they move forward. So when we talk about the power of community, we when we sit down and talk, 
and or break bread and talk, we come up with ideas. The ideas begin to flow, especially once you are validated about your experience. And that's all people want. Validate my reality. This is what I'm experiencing. Don't gaslight me and tell me that it's not happening. Don't gaslight me and say, leave the the leave probation paroling and go and flourish. You and I both know that's going to be a challenge. Don't gaslight me and say, um, now that you've had this open heart surgery and you have this scar and you're going to be on blood thinners forever and ever, amen. Don't say that, okay, now you're 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 all done because you'll never be all done. And you'll always need a space to be able to articulate that. And my vision is to have Zola circles all over the world, just like they have other 12-step support groups. I want mm-hmm. Zola support groups all over the world. And we just came back from Thailand and we- I was just about to ask you that as a great transition. So yes, please. <laughs> yeah, we just came back from Thailand and there is now a, a Zola experience foundation thailand that's like this is news to the world so you're the first to publicly hear that earl Um, because they have a you know and one of the first places that we're going to begin is their um their their yeah they they have a tough carceral system they do and and we have family that can integrate that system and they want to bring Zola into the prisons and then begin to bring it into the community. We, we respect all um, uh, cultures. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 there are no barriers to Zola. Whatever, whatever it is that you, however you identify, whatever your philosophy of life is, it can be integrated into that. So we recognize that inter- because they are a, Buddhist country, their primary uh, Buddhist and Islamic. So we know that 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 transition and to education is going to be uh, something that we're gonna that that they can do, and um, we know that it will be uh, it will be successful because it's community driven. This whole thing is community driven. You you get Zola ambassadors or those people that facilitate groups or those people that are trained the trainers from your community. So you know your community. You know who uh where the strength lies in your communities. And that's 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 it was powerful. It it was fun. We spoke to people in the mental health system in Thailand as well. And we're working on that total integration. And um, our goal is to have an international Zola um, conference and train uh, in Thailand in the spring of 2024. Okay, that's amazing. So so where can folks reach you in Zola and contact you so that they can avail themselves of this uh, community service that you're offering, um, both for the reentry community and for the uh, general population okay so the most expedient way is through our admin which you just do admin at the zola experience.org okay she will connect you to me or to connect you to uh uh the whatever it is that we're doing uh primarily she'll connect you to me first and then um i will we'll we'll make it happen We'll make it happen. Okay. All right. So that 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 is amazing. Um, anything else you would like to share um, outside of Zola? I, I know you're connected to several different <laughs> organizations. You work with the Elements, so there's a lot of things going on community-wise um, yeah. that is helpful to you know uplift the community. I know. I know. And talking to some of these folks, um, we, we talk a lot about the problems, but we don't necessarily focus on the solutions. We get together a lot and we, you know, we grouse about the, the issues and the problems. But um, I, 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 for one, want to get on the same page as focusing more on the solutions, mm-hmm. whether you know, they're incremental or it's a progression. You know, we know that there's no one silver bullet that's going to solve all the issues. Absolutely. I have... Um... 
been engaged in community building um, all of my adult life. And I say to people, uh, similar to what you know, Michelle Obama has talked about in her latest books, the the about the light that shines, um, that we all are lights. That mm-hmm. there is something that everybody can do in this community. And one of my primary things of the thing that you can do is don't litter. I know that sounds like, uh, like how is that connected? Because if your environment is clean, if your environment is comfortable, you can begin to think. But if you have a chaotic environment, I know even within the confines of my house, that's why you clean up. It's like the clutter, the clutter gets to you. So for our community to just just uh, just that little thing, that's one of the things that my mother instilled in me when I was very, very young. And I instilled it in my children. Don't you live in your community? Don't allow people to 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 you don't drop stuff in your house and and uh, you know just because you're finished eating you throw the container on the floor. You don't do that at home. Don't do that in our community. Take pride in where we live. Once we do that, then we won't allow other elements to come into our community that's going to to disrupt our community. That's going to make our community other than a comfortable, living, loving place that we deserve and that we have. So when you have elements coming in, I'm part of the steering committee of Hamden New Haven Strong or New Haven Hamdens, New Hallville Hamden Strong, which was when which came about as a result of an entity coming into our community that we knew would devastate our community. When a, a, a methadone program wanted to come into our community, into our residential community, where we are trying to raise our children, grandchildren, have schools, all of that. We said, no, no, no. And had to raise the awareness and educate the the, the entire community, not just in Newhallville, but the entire community about why is that not a good idea? And why is that not a good idea in any residential program? So that's that's one thing. The elements, <laughs> I am like the, the consultant or the the auntie for the elements, the mama Katora for the elements. And we talk about those kind of things and started a um in the process of doing a thing called a um uh something that we're we're working on on a a project that will address housing that will address um similar to some of incorporate zola incorporate a number of other things to uplift the community i'm involved with cedp the community economic development Pro- project which is another uh, entity that's saying we need an umbrella agency for people like zola and and hamden new haven strong and the reentry programs come under this community umbrella and let us be a voice of one. So anything that's coming into the community has to place their proposal in the middle of this table for Zola to look at it, for reentry to look at it, for the housing to look at it, for the elements to look at it, for all entities in our community to look at it and say, no, this doesn't seem like it's going to be a benefit. So either redo it or we're not going to accept it coming into our community. That's empowerment. No, that's that- a couple of things that you said, um, definitely about the empowerment and the advocacy or the, the, the sense of self-agency, I think is major um, for our community and spe- specifically for the reentry community. Um, based on, you know, a lot of the experience that, 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 that goes into being incarcerated, a lot of the times these folks had trauma before they went into prison. They're traumatized while they're in prison, and that's right. never really dealt with and so it could be a very dehumanizing experience so to providing that self of self of sense of uh self-agency i think is key but i want to get back to what you talked about with the litter because i think it is amazing that you brought that up because i was just listening to uh, a piece on marcus aurelius and stoicism and one of the things that they they uh, airmarked um, that was important to uh, Marcus Aurelius, and I won't even go down to the rabbit hole of Greek history and who he was and all that stuff. But um, 
it was a major thing for him to be of service to the community and, and to the world at large and improving that. And one of the things that they that he stated was around the importance of not littering and then taking care of your community. And this goes back thousands of years. And for you to say that today, and not to mention that um, it, it's been talked about in, in different papers and, and discussion that clutter and, and messiness can be a sign of depression. Mm-hmm. And so if you're in that state continuously, that, you know, that, that can present some problems in our community. If, we, if we're not taking care of our community where all we see is litter and trash, that can affect you mentally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And part of that is saying to our elected officials, your aldermen in particular, we need more trash cans. Mm-hmm. Need trash cans in the beginning of every block, the middle of a block, at the end of every block. Every few feet, there should be a place for you to place trash. So, um, I mean, I have been in communities in my growing up years where the idea of litter anywhere in the community was is like unheard of. And that was one of the interesting things that was in Thailand. I didn't see a lot of trash. I didn't see a lot of litter. The, the Even the rest stops, the bathrooms were clean. There, I mean, it was... It, it So when I get back home and I went into the dressing room at a local retail store and there was dust balls and stuff all over the floor, I was like, oh, they never would tolerate this uh, in Thailand. Mm-hmm. But it's a cultural thing and we can change our culture. We can change the culture. You don't have, you don't have to accept uh, what is being presented to you. Use your voice. You don't have to accept that. And part of Zola is finding your voice to say, no, this won't be tolerated. Uh, You're absolutely right. The majority of people that have experienced incarceration have had histories of traumatic events. We all have had traumatic events. Some of us have just, you know, suppressed them and just Mm -hmm. said, I'm not going to deal with this, but they come up to the surface. It's like, it's like I say heartburn in your throat. Like you'll get triggered. Something will happen, a smell, a touch, somebody will say something. Then it'll come up. It'll get, and everybody has experienced that heartburn. It's like in the base of your throat. And it's like, I either want to throw up or I want to get some Pepto or something to swallow it. So I say, throw it up. I, it. I, I, I would say to you that it's, it's along with suppression of the traumas that we've experienced, I think, unfortunately, and in our culture, not only have we suppressed a lot of the trauma, but we've become conditioned to the trauma. Like it's just a normal part of our life and it's really not normal. Well, I don't know if it, 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 we have, I don't think we've normalized trauma. I think that it is expressed in our, in many, many different ways. It's expressed in our street violence. It's expressed in domestic violence. It's -hmm. expressed in our health. It's expressed because as black and brown people, we're at the top of the list of of basically the top five (laughs) of, of health issues, heart disease, obesity, mental illness, suicide. We're at the top of this. So we have not, we have not, articulated it as that, it just comes out in behavior. So there is a thing called behavioral health. That's why it is. It's like, we want our our behavior to be healthier and it can be, but the first step is validating what has happened to us. When they're talking about erasing the history of black and brown and indigenous people in this country, that is damaging. That says that I'm going to erase your reality. That is total gaslighting. We cannot tolerate that because that says you're silencing me. You're saying to me that my ancestral, my ancestors were never enslaved. They didn't go through what they went through. That's absolutely not a truth. Now, people have to embrace their truth. And that's part of what we do. We have racial healing circles with Zola. You gotta embrace your truth. 
And so, okay, so if your ancestral truth is that it wasn't that you were the perpetrators, that you were the, the orchestrators of oppression and discrimination and all of these on a group of people own that. And now what are you going to do to rectify that? What is going to be the repair for that, right? We have to go in that direction. You cannot, um, uh, that we know that those of us that work with trauma, we know that the most important thing is validating the trauma that we and and Yale University has a whole department that says that validate the trauma, then you can lend voice to the trauma. Then you can begin to 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 release that that kind of energy that you are holding on to, so that it doesn't come out in you slapping your child. It doesn't come out in you looking at a person that you know. I, I'll take the example of of uh, when Spike Lee did the. Uh, the, the movie and the guy stepped on his sneakers and he went ballistic, right? Mm. It's something that is right that to be minor, but it's just enough to tip you over to say, I, I can't do this anymore. So we have got, the, I see Zola as this gentle release valve of us beginning to talk about and recognize what's going on. Okay. That is amazing. And I'm sure we could fill up the entire hour more with discussion of Zola, how it can impact and um, restore some of our folks in our community um, as part as as part of what we talked about earlier, being a part of the solution and not just discussion and discussing the issues or the problems that we've been beset with. So I, I want to thank you very, very much for your time. And I'll be sure to make sure that um, we have uh, your contact information um, provided to the audience that's listening to the show. And I look forward to speaking with you and, and working with you in the future. Absolutely. As they say in Thailand, ka. And I say I, in Zola, mm-hmm. peace and blessings. <laughs> peace and blessings to you too, Auntie. Thank you very much for joining us. Right. Peace. All right. All right, folks, uh, we just had an amazing discussion with uh, the folks over at Zola, and I think there'll be more to come from them um, in discussions with work in the community and uplifting uh, the folks. Um, real quick, um, we're going to be having another guest join us in just a moment, um, and after that uh, guest does join us and we have some discussions around the work that they're doing uh, in the community and working with folks. Um, I'm going to give some updates uh, to some stuff in the reentry. There's some some big things going on uh, with uh, the work that people are doing, like Emerge and, and Bridgeport, Kenny Jackson, the workplace, career resources, the Welcome centers uh, throughout the state, uh, Bridgeport, Haven, Arthur, Waterbury, um, Britain. And uh, so definitely more to come on that. So um, I guess should be, ah, here we go. We're here right now. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to have our guests. Uh, and please forgive me. Uh, if, if I mispronounce your name, it's Alexander Talbis. Perfect. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Of- call me, call me Alex, Alex ah. Talbis. Yeah. Okay. Welcome. 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 Uh, uh, barrister. I like, I love that word. A lot of people don't say it anymore, but, um, yeah. Uh, Alex Talbis, uh, Esquire here with us. And, um, Alex, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you, um, came to be where you're at working uh, in the, what I say, criminal legal system and around the entry. My name's Alex Talbis. I'm a civil rights lawyer here in New Haven, where I work and I live. Uh, I grew up in Connecticut and I got my law degree from Yale. And for the last four years, I've operated my own solo practice here in New Haven, where I live. And I began getting involved in the criminal legal system in 2020. 
at the height of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, all the courts were shut down and the people who were incarcerated were sitting ducks for the virus. Unfortunately, mm. tragically, many people died, including people serving sentences for things like DUI, things that were short sentences, people who were just a year or two away from getting out of prison. I represented a lot of those people. We tried to get them out in an emergency basis. We weren't um, successful. Yeah. And then since then, I've worked with a lot of people trying to um, help people who've been impacted by the criminal legal system and uh, reduce sentences. For example, we've taken 951 years off of excessive prison sentences in Connecticut over the past two years. Wow. And we've also tried to hold um, officials accountable for their violations of the laws when they're the ones who are supposed to be enforcing them. As well as writing them. Correct. But I was very, um, uh, I feel very privileged, honored to be here on the show talking about, uh, I, I know you are very involved in the reentry uh, community and we've worked together in the past. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I see with the clients who I've helped that reentry is in a real crisis. It's in a real disaster mode because we basically do the opposite of what we should do when it comes to reentry. You know, when, when, when you think about when someone's coming out of prison, after whether it's from a short time or a long time, they've come out of this traumatic experience. They've been punished. They've suffered, um, which was the goal. That's what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to be punished. Now that they're out of the punishment, if we want them to reintegrate and to be part of reentry, to reenter our society successfully, there's two options. I mean, there's there's more than two options, but right now, rather than helping to reintegrate and to reentry, I mean, there's people doing amazing work like yourself and others, Jackie. Um, I saw uh, uh, the first guest you had and the Zola circles, and there's amazing things happening. But as a society, right. we don't help you. We, in fact, we're not even neutral towards you, like everybody else. We punish you more, and we discriminate against you. Discrimination in housing. People are not allowed to live, even if they are willing to pay. They have the money. They're not allowed to live somewhere where they want to live because of their past, but they've already been punished for their past. Now they're being punished again. We know about jobs. We know people. I had a client who was hired during the pandemic by Home Depot. And they had, during the pandemic, they suspended their background checks. Okay. He worked at Home Depot for 18 months. He was one of their top people. He got promotions. He got raises. And then he got fired 18 months into the job because of a background check that showed a record from years ago. For, and we're not talking about like flying planes or, you know, being a special prosecutor. He was working at Home Depot. You can't work at Home Depot because you have a record. How absurd is that? That's the opposite of what we should be doing. We should be helping you do the right thing, help you do the good thing. So, so with that in mind, with that in mind specifically, because we want to talk about solutions, and, and there are issues because I've worked with folks, and you know, when we are working with folks to get employed, you know, we have been the box here, what it's worth in Connecticut. Um, a lot of people fought hard for that, but there are still collateral consequences because people the corporations and agencies are still allowed to do background checks. So you can have someone in your case working 18 months or, or what I've seen is two to three weeks, somebody working at a, at a, at a job and doing very well, fitting in perfect job fit. And then they get tapped on the shoulder. Uh, we like to talk to you. Unfortunately, your background check came back and no, we can no longer employ you. And in some cases, as you said, this is stuff that happened years, years ago. They've already paid their debt to society with their sentence. How do we, implement better structures so that this is not happening how do how do we bring the community together with employers and with the legislatures to make them understand 
that, you know, there's stuff that's impacting the community negatively. These folks have served their sentence. There's, there's no reason for them to have the scarlet letter that is going to continuously punish them in perpetuity. Well, people need to understand that uh, discrimination is illegal, okay? Mm-hmm. Whether it's in housing, employment, or anything else. And there are currently some laws, as you mentioned, that are trying to protect people in these circumstances. So when you believe that you, if you're in the situations that I've described where you're denied an apartment or you're denied a job, has nothing to do with your ability to do that job, has to do with a piece of paper from years ago, you've already served the punishment. Call a lawyer, call a lawyer. And if you can't get a lawyer on the phone, you can't call me, you can't find me, Call the Connecticut Commission on Human Rights and Opportunities, also known as the CHRO. CHRO, you can Google them, Commission on Human Rights. Call them, make a complaint. It's not right. I had clients coming out of prison. The bank sends them a letter. They have a bank account. They're they're doing good. They're putting money each week in from their work. They get a letter from the bank saying, we don't want to do business with you anymore. No reason. No reason. So you know what we do? We sue because this stuff has to stop. The discrimination has to end. It's unacceptable. It's 2023. We have companies that do a good job. We have companies that do hire people. They call them felon friendly. I love that. Be friendly. And if you're not, you're doing wrong. And you need to be held accountable for that because you're going against what needs to be done to make our communities safe. When the crimes happen, when the bad things happen, it's because we're not doing what we need to do to make our safe place safe. Get people into jobs. Get them doing things during the day. Don't have people with no opportunities, but understand there are laws. You're not helpless. You know, if you have this thing happen to you, call a lawyer. And if the lawyer doesn't talk to you, call another one and call the CHRO and call the newspaper. Because this community here in New Haven, we believe in doing what's right. We believe in doing it the right way. There's a lot of people here in New Haven and the big people in power who say, at least, they they want this to stop. So bring it to them, you know? And there's something to be said about holding, you know, the people that we vote in the office accountable. I, I totally agree with that. And there are friendly uh, employers or felon friendly employers out there. Um, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I think also, and, and as it relates to the, the reentry population, um, and as we were speaking about previously with Solar, providing people with a sense of agency, you know, of their own, and and, and them having the ability to to write their own narratives, um, I think that's Im- important as well. Um, what we have in my mind and, and what I see in, in the state of Connecticut, there are a lot of opportunities out here. There are a lot of resources out here um, for the reentry population. There are almost 30 something thousand, 30,000 uh, job openings currently out here in the state of Connecticut. But we also need to make sure that these folks that we're not setting them up for failure that they have which we are, like which we currently are like not right. you being us right. but like us right. being all of us society right. like because like a lot of them a lot of people i mean i can't i get upset if like the internet in my office is not working and like i'll be angry but like and i might even like i might like say i'll be my snippy on someone on the phone i'll be short with someone else obviously there's no consequences for me right. but when you're off your game a little bit and you have that record and people right. are already looking at you differently. I mean, part of it even is just racism, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just being a black man. You can't be angry. You know, you can't be you can't be um, assertive the same way I could be. No one's going to accuse me of breach of peace. You know, like it's it's different, you know. And so we need to like you can't go. 400 years of of racism, discrimination, oppression, slavery, and then all of a sudden say, well, now the rule is that it's equal and just expect all of it to go away. Like it's a constant battle. 
to advance equality of all people and people who've been somewhere, who've had some, you know, past, they need, you need to understand that that doesn't just mean that they have a strike against them. It also means that they have trauma. They have um, uh, impairments. They have things that need to be accommodated and helped because we need to help each other as a community. If we're going to be safe, if we're going to be peaceful, if we're going to be prosperous, if we're going to thrive, we have to help each other. We're only as strong as our weakest link. Indeed. Indeed. So, and there's, there's a direct correlation, I think, to a reduction in recidivism and public safety when adequate resources are provided to this population so that they have stable housing, so that they have livable wage employment. And all working class in Connecticut needs better work, livable wages and employment. Like the people who own businesses in Connecticut and the people who, who are in the investing world and who own properties and who have assets and money, like they have a, a less of a stress in their life than the people who have wages that when you add them up and then you add up the rent, the childcare, the taxes, the uh, car note, the insurance and the costs, there's more on the cost than there is on the income. And so now people are accumulating debt, which again, adds to the stress adds to the impairment and you're instead of dealing with your trauma from a place of comfort and prosperity because you're working you're adding to the trauma you're adding to the stress and you're triggering it over and over and over and over again and at some point people are going to break or people are going to end up not making rent and then they're going to be on the street and you have people who who go through a cycle where they work so hard they pull themselves out of homelessness again and again and again. But why can't we help them when they're down so that they can move from that place to a better place, to a more secure place, to a more stable place? We're, right. we're just not doing the things that we need to be doing for everyone because it's going to make our whole state a whole lot safer mm -hmm. when we have futures for people that they can really believe in. It's not going to be taken away at a moment's notice with no with no voice with not being heard you know people need to be respected and so that's why I'm a, that's why I do what I do as a civil rights attorney because the discrimination and inequity is what drives me to fight to fight for doing the right thing to doing the good thing follow the rules that's why I'm saying Trump shouldn't be even running he didn't follow the rules he's not eligible right laws should apply to everyone not just the people who've made a mistake and got caught. Everyone, rules apply for everyone. And what's good for everyone is to help everyone. I agree. There, there should not be a two-tier justice system, whether that involves bail or representation um, in, your, in defense of yourself when you're going for the court system or the judicial system. So um, with that being said, uh, Alex, I want to thank you for your time. Um, I very much enjoyed you ha having you here. Uh, thank you, Tom, particularly for the platform. And I look forward to working with you. Uh, there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of work to be done every entry, as you said. It's steady work, and I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for having me on. I always want to be on a soapbox, yelling it from the rooftop. So anytime you want me, I'll be there. All right, sir. You have a blessed day. All right, that was uh, attorney Alex Tavez, and we appreciate his input. Um, what I'd like to uh, discuss right now is something regarding uh, Next Level Empowerment Program um, and their new reentry warm line, which is open statewide. Um, you can reach the warm line at 1 888 1484. The Warm Line provides peer-to-peer -peer support and referrals to service and organizations dedicated to helping returning citizens and their families. If you or your loved one is in need of mental health, medical, housing, or food support, or just need someone to talk to, call The Warm Line. Uh, it's Monday through Friday from 5 p.m. to 6 a.m. and Saturday and Sunday, 24 hours a day. The Warm Line provides emotional and social support to men and women that are currently incarcerated and due to be released within nine months. 
DOC phone room supply. Men and women that were previously incarcerated and need services while residing in the community. Uh, families that reside in Haven with a returning citizen need support with transitional or intensive family preservation services. They also state if you need medical assistance or the police, please call 911. Again, this is the next level program and it's the real true warrant. And that number again is 1 888 260 1484. So, with that being said, um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done uh, in the state of Connecticut. Uh, even though we've had a lot of progress, um, there's work to be done on the housing front. There's work to be done on the employment front. There's work to be done on the healthcare front as far as continuity of care. Um, there have been some great legislative wins uh, with IDs, with folks um, getting the right to vote back. Even if you're on probation, you have the right to vote in the state of Connecticut. You have the right to vote if you're on parole. Um, so these have been hard fought one victories. There's work to be done around the social equity front with the impact of the war on drugs on our communities here in the urban areas of the state of Connecticut. Uh, so while there's been much progress, there is still much work yet to be done. Um, and I want to thank uh, Engineer Harry Dross and uh, Tom Pickling for the opportunity to discuss some of these issues on this platform. Um, it's uh, a blessing and look forward to other opportunities to connect with you all and discuss solutions to the myriad of issues that impact us on a daily basis. And hopefully we can come together and resolve them and work together. There's, there's more that we can do collaboratively than we can do separately. With that being said, I hope everybody has a blessed day and uh, be safe out there. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at devoiding myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you stressing, but you're going to be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, because they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never going to give up, give this up. This is Harry Fall Fall down, down, I just got to get up, get up, yeah. Because this is my life, let's get my action.